All right, guys. So that's what we get to talk about today. I'm, I'm Pat, by the way. Uh, as Garrett mentioned, I am a pastor just down the street uh, at Overlake down there. And the only reason that I work there is because a guy named Jake hired me almost nine years ago. And so, uh, so grateful for that and how it's changed my life and thankful for Jake's friendship. Uh, and I just have to tell you guys, he, he totally loves you. We, we grab lunch every month and it's just so funny. He has just such a pastoral heart. It just oozes out of him as he talks about you guys and, and, and just the joy and just, just, just how much you guys are up to. And, and so it's super cool. It's just, just super awesome. Well, guys, we're in the third and the final week of this Dangerous Prayers series. And, uh, and in, case, in case you've missed the first couple or, may, or maybe you've missed one of the first two, uh, I'd love to give just a brief little recap here, just the, the last couple weeks. Uh, so two weeks ago, uh, Jake, he hit lead off with a series with the prayer of Search Me. Search me. Looking in Psalm uh, chapter 139, it's this idea that much like a doctor would do a medical examination, which Jake did share a story, and if you didn't hear it, it it's definitely worth catching online. Uh, it, it was quite funny, but uh, just in, in that similar type idea, we would ask the Lord to examine us, to search us at the deepest parts of who we are, at our heart level, and, 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 and allow him to reveal to us our, our motivations and desires and areas where maybe we have fear, we don't trust him, or areas of selfishness, and, and then trusting and knowing that he can actually meet those things, that he can cure those things and speak into those things. So that, that was Search Me. That was two weeks ago. Then last week, Scott, uh, Scott Hetherington, he brought it, and it was the, it was the idea of this prayer of break me. Which, which is scary, a scary prayer to pray, a dangerous prayer to pray for sure. And it's this idea of this vulnerability that comes when we're broken. And it's in that where we get to really enjoy this vibrant, just this beautiful relationship with the Lord, knowing that it actually, it's that brokenness that leads many times to, to a blessing on the other side of it. So this morning, we get to talk about send me. Say that, say that with me, send me. Send me. Oh, you guys got this. This is great. You, and, and, and you guys are responsive. That was my test. I just put a, put a little test out early to see what, I, see what I'm working with. This is good. Uh, send me. Send me. That's right. We're talking about send me. And, and some of you, you got this nailed. You are pros at the send me prayer. Uh, raise your hand uh, uh, unashamedly if you've ever prayed the send me prayer of, Lord, just send me the winning lottery ticket. Come on. Come on. We've been there. Uh, or, or send me some good luck on this interview or this first date or whatever, like, like the good luck prayer, the send me a little bit of good luck. How many have prayed the good luck prayer? Oh, all the time. Yes, yes. Uh, 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 how, about, how about send me on vacation, expenses free, your, whatever it is. We, we, we somehow take this idea of send me and we make ourselves the focus of it. And counterintuitively, as we'll find out, as we'll explore this morning together, it's not about us at all. The, 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 the prayer of send me has nothing to do with the person praying it. It has everything to do. It's changing the focus uh, off of ourselves as onto the mission and onto the invitation of God and what he's up to in this world. And so that's really, it's that heart of send me. And that's really what we're going after. And it just so happens, kind of really by coincidence, but I think like beautifully so, that, that today we get to talk about this on November 11th, on a day where we actually set aside to, 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 to remember, to celebrate, and to honor those that actually get this. They've, act, they've actually lived this out. 
And so if anyone actually is in here who's actually ever served in any branch of the armed services, would you be so brave to raise your hand? Raise your hand. For, we, have, we have a few on either side. Let's thank these individuals. Yes. Living examples of really what this looks like. My, my father served, my grandfather served, and, and, and it really is this idea of taking this oath, recognizing that there's a readiness, there's a willingness, and there's a responsiveness once called to actually go in and, 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 and work on the mission at hand. And that's really no different than actually what we're going to discover this morning. So let's kick things off. Let's actually look at where we find this in Scripture where we find this in, in, in the Bible. And so if, if you want to follow along, if, if, if you brought a Bible and you, you want to flag where it's at or, or take notes uh, on your phone or, or whatnot, uh, we're going to be, it's this verse in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. It'll also be on the screens here. And here's what it says. Isaiah verse 6, or chapter 6, verse 8. Then I heard the Lord, the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, this is Isaiah, this is what Isaiah says. And I said, here am I, send me. Isaiah says this at a time in Israel's history, and they've, they've had some bummer moments in their history for sure. It's very much a cycle. If you've read the Old Testament, you just know it's, it's not all good. It's, it's not all great. This journey of faith, when we actually look at what Israel's gone through, it actually gives us an idea of maybe, maybe a little bit of the road we're on too. And so they've had some, some tough chapters, uh, like, like slavery in Egypt. But then this, this is probably either second to that or tied with that or, or maybe even worse than that. Here is when the, the, the nation of Israel is actually, there's war coming against them. There, there's, there's death, there's destruction, there's disease, there's famine because they're taken as captives into exile. And so this is this conversation that the Lord's having with, with Isaiah. And Isaiah says this bold prayer of send me. But before that, he says these three little words of here am I, or here I am, depending on your translation. And I want to address that first, because Isaiah's building upon something here that shows up multiple times prior to him. You can look back in Genesis chapter 22, and Abraham, it says this in chapter 22, verse 1, it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. So there's a response, a response from Abraham of here I am, similar to what we see in Isaiah. Let's, let's continue. Let's, let's skip a few episodes or, or maybe seasons, and, and we'll get all the way to the Exodus now with Moses. Here's what Moses says as he's drawn to this burning bush, which catches his attention. Uh, and, and it's not consuming the bush, so it's approachable in nature. I think there's something beautiful just, just in that idea. But, but as, as Moses draws near, here's what it says. And this is, this is Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. It says, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. So his name gets called twice. He may have been hard of hearing compared to Abraham. We don't know. And Moses said, Hear I am, here I am, something we've already heard said earlier. Lastly, last example of this, coming in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 4. Kind of interesting. Uh, chapter 3, verse 4 uh, kind of shows up twice in, in, the, in the same vein a little bit. Uh, and here's what it says. Then the Lord called Samuel, a young boy at the time, probably 11, 11-ish years old. And Samuel answered, here I am. 
So there's something here, there's something that I think we need to kind of key in on when we see that Isaiah, before saying send me, starts with the here I am, knowing that that actually, there's, there's kind of some breadcrumbs in scripture just with that phrase right there. And so it really begins, and it all starts with, and this is kind of the first point, if we're going to live into this dangerous prayer, if we're going to pray this and mean it, it really, it starts with availability. That is what that phrase really is getting at the heart of. Making yourself available. Availability. It all starts with availability. It's the prerequisite to pray, send me. It's no different. And, and this really isn't rocket science. I think it all makes sense. The, the prerequisite to help someone move, for example, is that you actually are available to help them move. And it seems like no one ever is when you need to move. The prerequisite to take your wife to dinner is to actually be available for dinner. And thus, the prerequisite for being used by God and his work is to make yourself available. So why is it? And I would actually just say this, even just anecdotally, in, in conversations with people, that, that it seems so many people have no problem saying the here I am of this kind of posture of, of making themselves available to God, and yet so few just add on those two other words of send me. And so I think it's worth hitting pause and just addressing a few excuses that come up. Because I think when we begin to make ourselves available, the accuser, the enemy, I think he starts to find his way in us coming up with some excuses as to why we won't ever do the whole send me thing. And so I just want to hit a few of them. And the first is this. First excuse, if you're jotting things down, is this excuse, send someone else. I don't mind saying here I am. I don't mind making myself available, but not me. Send, send someone else. Send someone else on whatever this, this invitation is, Lord, on whatever this work is that you want done over here, Lord. Here I am, but send someone else. In that conversation that Moses has with the Lord in this burning bush moment, you get to chapter four, and here's what Moses says. It says, and this is after the invitation into the Lord's work in delivering his people. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. I think we've all done that at times. I think we've, we've sometimes sensed maybe an opportunity that the Lord is approaching us with, and we passively sit by maybe expecting, or maybe it's just hoping, or maybe it's just, just this state of really uh, 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 trying to trust that the Lord would just make someone else do it, that, that I don't want to have to. And think, think of the effectiveness. Think of it from kind of the enemy's perspective. If, if he's against the work of the Lord in this world, world uh, think how effective that is. Think how effective it becomes if everyone starts to think like this. Pretty soon, everyone's passive. Everyone's disengaged. Everyone's fooled themselves into thinking, hey, I'm willing to play, Lord. I'm willing to do whatever. And yet then everyone's like, but someone else can do that. Or someone else can do that. Someone else can go there. And so this is something that we need to, I think, test. And really, it works so well with two weeks ago, this search me of just asking the Lord, examine me. Is this an excuse that I'm using? Is this something that's coming up in my faith journey over and over again? I want to look now at Jonah chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And just in reading this, uh, begin to kind of look and see if you can kind of sense maybe some other excuses that may be in store here. Here's what it says in Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it 
because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. There could be all kinds of things going on here. Clearly, Jonah hears the invitation. Clearly, he's in a state of kind of being available, at least enough to hear, and yet he does the exact opposite. So, so what are some excuses that may be in play here? And what could maybe we learn from? What maybe applies to our lives? I think another excuse, excuse number two, would just be the excuse of not now. Not now, bad timing. Lord, I hear you. I know what you're inviting me into. Not great timing, not now. I have another thing I need to get done first. I have another promotion to attain. I have another house to buy. I have, a, I have another contract to sign. I have another degree to get. I have another, another, another until time is all spent. This is, this is terrible. I'm about to tell you guys my worst sin, uh, one of my worst sins ever. Uh, I, I'm not sure I've ever told anyone, even my wife. And so she made sin online to actually hear this. But uh, uh, my, my, my senior year at Northwest University, uh, which is a Christian school, which, which may be important to recognize as I tell the story. But uh, uh, as I'm a senior and I'm graduating, it's 2008. Anyone remember what the economy was beginning to do in 2008? The opposite of what it's been doing the last few years, okay? It was just, it was just beginning to slide, like, like, like the sirens were going off. And so imagine being a recent college graduate with zero experience. Uh, I ran cross country and track in college instead of even working. So that's, that's kind of hard to pitch. Like, I can run really far if you need me to, you know? <laughs> if the stapler's at the other end of the building, I can get it, you know? Uh, uh, it, it's a little hard. It's, it's a little hard. And so, and so it's that season of just trying to land a job. And it's stressful, guys. I'm married. It's, it's expensive to live here. I grew up in Spokane. So just a sticker shock of everything for us was just like, whoa, a gallon of milk. Are you kidding me? You know, we can't even drink milk. Like, and, so, and so we're just like constantly stressed. I'm trying to get a job, uh, sending my resumes all over, making calls, doing the whole informational interview thing. And I remember, I'll never forget this. Guys, this is a, one of the worst moments ever. It's really bad. Promise you don't judge. Guys, promise. Okay. All right. All right. Safe place. So I can remember, I'm parked in the front of the Bellevue Library. Parked in the front of the Bellevue Library, just getting ready to hop out of the car and head in to, to grab some things. And right as I'm uh, preparing to get out of the car, my phone rings and I look down and it's a potential employer. It's actually one that I'm pre pretty excited about. Uh, and, and, and it's one that I actually had been kind of praying over and just thinking about a lot. And, and so the fact I'm getting a call back, I'm just like, yes, awesome. Take the call, and just as I'm on the phone, I'm just, I just happen to kind of be gazing into my rearview mirror as I'm sitting there and just kind of talking to this guy on the phone. And so I'm looking, and what I can see is the front of the library. Well, what I see is this old man, this old, old senior, senior man, he's, and he's, he's walking out of the library, and he totally misses the step off of the curb onto the, onto the, the parking lot. And he misses it entirely. So bad so, he doesn't even catch himself, guys. He just goes face first, just... And, I, and even though I was inside my car, I could just, I could hear it. I could hear him fall. I, I could feel the ground shake. My car a little bit just kind of moved as this man just hits, just doesn't, doesn't even catch himself. And in this moment, I saw this. I saw the, the whole thing happen. I knew immediately, I knew, oh, I, I just need to hang up, call this guy back, and I need to go help this man. And you know what I did? I stayed on the phone. I stayed on the phone. 
And here I am on this phone, prioritizing myself over the need of someone else. As I continue this conversation with this employer, thinking only of myself, Meanwhile, this man lays there lifeless until someone else came and helped him up and he was fine. But, but guys, it was one of those crystal clear moments of knowing exactly what the right thing to do was and knowing that I chose to say, not now, not now. And guys, that is, that is actually a quite humble moment compared to, I think, I think the gravity of really what it is that the Lord is inviting us into. And yet how much of our posture really gets used and burnt up in this excuse of not now, not good timing. I'll say here I am, but I'm going to table the send me because it's just not great timing right now. Another excuse that I think a lot of times comes up is just not that, not that. I, 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 I don't know. I, you know, Jonah, preaching, preaching to heathens. I, I don't know. Maybe, not that. I don't know about preaching. Maybe something that pays a little better, Lord. I'll wait for the next opportunity to come along. Or, or maybe it's just that word isn't distinguished enough. Or that work is just too messy. Or that work will put my reputation on the line. Or, or that work will require a huge commitment. I found this fascinating. I found this so fascinating yesterday. Uh, there was a commercial that kept coming up as I was watching a couple football games. Go Cougs. I grew up in the 509. Uh, and, and, as, and as I'm watching some football, uh, Jared, everybody know Jared, the, the, the fine jewelry diamonds, uh, they, they, they sell expensive things. Um, Jared, Jared commercials are coming on like, like throughout the day. And, and it really, I think it was like a little prophetic in nature. And here's why. The whole thing, their whole shtick that they're running on this, this whole season, it's, it's crazy. It, it, it's fascinating. Their, their whole bit, the whole season is, is that they're welcoming you into, Jared, which is called the dare to commit season. The dare to commit. I can only imagine at a boardroom table, wherever Jared is located, probably New York or whatever, you know, like they're centered around and they're like, guys, we have a crisis on our hands. People are not buying enough jewelry because they're scared to commit. They're scared to commit. I wonder if there is a pervasive form of this that's happening throughout, not just, not just secular, not just things going on, but even in our faith, even in the church. Is there a crisis of commitment? Is this a dare to commit season for us? For us to actually step into the things that the Lord is inviting us into. Excuse four, not there. This is a little bit more of where kind of the hermeneutics would pull you towards. This is a little bit more in line with where uh, theologians would, would talk about in the course of Jonah with Nineveh. And not to that town, not, not to that place, not, not, not to Nineveh, not to Nineveh. It, it, it rains too much. It's too wet. The days are so dark and cold and lonely throughout the winter months. It's like, it's, it's like the lettuce, like it's the mister in the grocery store, like not to Nineveh. Like it, it, how often are we thinking like not that place? And strangely enough, there's this epidemic happening where so many people live in places they don't want to actually be in. They choose to spend all their time in other places because of the entertainment, what can happen over here and what can happen over there, that there's this void of presence in neighborhoods. 
There's this void of people putting roots down and living incarnationally, like actually relationally with their neighbors because they're so distracted to try to enjoy life in other places. It's a crisis of theology of place. I love how Eugene Peterson, who, who passed away just a couple weeks ago, and I love this man, he says this in the book of John, in the opening chapter of John, that Jesus, he took on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's the posture we're to live with. We need to, we need to re-adopt, re-engage this idea that place matters. Where you live matters. Where you sleep at night matters. The neighbors around you matter that we cannot get warped into this thinking of the evil one that really gets us to think that some places don't matter. Every place matters. The fifth excuse and the final one that I'll touch on, and these aren't exhaustive, these are just ones that, that, that I'm noting here, is, is the, the fifth excuse of just not them. Not them. Where there's some form of, 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 of uh, uh, viewing people or a group as the other. And for, for Jonah, it was the Ninevites. Maybe we've been th- uh, kind of caught into thinking that, oh, but I don't know that language or that culture. There's just so many barriers. There's no possible way I could be used in that context. Or I just don't like how they live, how they talk, how they vote. The accuser will use whatever he can to distract us in that step of saying, here I am to send me. So now that we've kind of, kind of, uh, kind of identified some of these excuses, some of the things that we're coming and kind of combating, uh, I, I think it's helpful as we've deconstructed those to actually set our sights a little bit on who's our model, where do we actually begin to live into this, and for that, I think it's important to shift attention from Testament to New Testament. And so what I want to do is share really this last portion of Scripture out of John 20. And before that, before that. I want to I want to tee up this idea because I've been I've been thinking um, I've been kind of thinking about just the the beauty of this prayer and feeling like I need to do uh, need to do it service in the sense that I think sometimes you can you can oversell something and underdeliver. What what I think is important to recognize is that this is a risky prayer, that this is a dangerous prayer as it's talked about in this series. That to say, send me, really is to lay down your preferences. All these excuses we've just talked about, those go to the, to the wayside so that you actually are invited into something that you really don't know how it's going to go. You don't have it all laid out. You don't have it all planned out necessarily. It made me think two weeks ago, my, my good friend and office mate, uh, Josh McQueen, he's also a pastor at Overlake. Some of you I know know him. Uh, he made this bet. And, and I just think this, this puts Josh down as like mentor of the year. He told this young man that he, he is mentoring, that he was mentoring, uh, still is mentoring, that if he graduated high school, he'd take him skydiving. Talk about motivation for a high schooler, right? So teen, this, this, this young guy here, graduated high school earlier in the year, and so just, just a couple weeks ago on a really clear, sunny, one of those beautiful fall days we had, uh, Josh took him up to Snohomish, and they went skydiving. And Josh, as, again, as we were sharing in office, not only did I get to hear the story from him as I was asking all these questions of what it was like, but then other people are swinging through and asking the same questions I was. So I heard this story from Josh probably like six times within three days. And each time I had a similar, a similar experience where as I'm, as I'm telling Josh, like I'm, I'm like almost nervous for him. Like obviously I know how it turned out because I'm talking to him. You know, it's not like the chute didn't open. But, 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 but here's, 
here's Josh, and, and I'm in this moment. I'm like, so like, like it's the only time I've maybe had empathy on this level where I'm like in his mind as he's talking about the experience. And he's saying how, how, how nervous he was, and, and you're signing your life away. He's like, oh yeah, no, you're signing things. He's like, it's just constant. It's very clear that they're letting you know mistakes do happen, you know? And so, and so here's Josh telling the story, and then he's talking about what it's like to get loaded up in the plane and how small the plane is, how they just cram people in there. And I'm like, did, it, did you guys get off the ground? You know, like, and he's there, you know? So, so, so here's Josh telling this whole story. And, and the moment where my body gets actually exhausted, because I can just tell I'm so, so tense. And I'm sure, like, Josh is like, dude, back up, because I would just keep getting closer. But, but I, I just got so tense and so tight. My stomach was doing weird things. But, 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 but Josh is, is talking about the moment, and, and he's, and he's uh, connected to the, the person behind him. He's, he's going tandem. Uh, and, and, and when he talks about this moment of being pushed outside the plane, not falling yet, but just getting staged, and he's out hanging outside the plane, hanging outside the plane, looking down at the great Northwest, which no one wants to see from that high up. <laughs> You can't enjoy it. He, he's just scared. And he talks about just the number of thoughts he has in like 0.3 seconds. He's like, it's amazing how fast our minds work. I'm like, I don't care about that. Like, you know, and, and, and it's just this rationalization of like, oh, I don't even know. I don't even know this man. Like, well, I, I don't know if this man had a bad day. And, you know, like it's just all these different things. And so, and, and so it's that moment of falling out of the plane. And he talks about how even in the training, they tell you if, if you realize you're getting lightheaded, it's not because you didn't breathe in, it's because you haven't exhaled out yet. And so he's having to tell himself, breathe out, get it, you know, and like, then he could actually kind of quote unquote enjoy it as he's free falling towards nature. Like, and he talks about this in a way where it's, it's this strange mix of, I am so intrigued, I'm so enthralled, I'm so curious. And yet I'm also, there's this good mix of fear in me. You should be scared jumping out of a plane, okay? I think, I think we can all agree on that. This prayer is very similar. You talk to people who have lived a life of saying, send me, and you are enthralled. You are engaged. You are just like, wow, the adventure you have lived with. And then there's this other part of you that's like, you're crazy? You're crazy. How, what, what about the bills? What about the kids? What about your retirement? What about this? What about that? It's, it's all this rationalization. And I'll just tell you now, that's what this prayer pulls us into. So as you experience the mixture of those things, you're in the right place when you're praying this prayer. That's a good sign. I want to invite you to close your eyes, not because we're closing now, but because I want to read this passage and I want you to be fully present as you hear these words. Instead of following on the screen, just close your eyes. And I know many of you have been in church for a long time and, and, and you've heard this, but I want you to listen as if you're hearing it for the first time. Allow me to read these words to you out of the Gospel of John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
And that concludes the reading out of John chapter 20 right there. Here we are, two days as we would count, after the crucifixion, three days if you count Friday. So, so Jesus dies, crucified on a Friday afternoon. This is Sunday evening. This is Sunday evening. As the disciples are scared in a, in a room that's locked, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, comes in their midst. There's all kinds of cool theories about that, by the way, which, which I don't want to get into, but, but I love those discussions. Uh, and here's this moment that Jesus has with his disciples. First words that he speaks to them is, is ones of peace. Peace be upon you. They're living in a state of fear and he speaks peace into them. And it concludes with a sending. He's letting them know, hey, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. It's a theme throughout John's gospel. If you were to read John's gospel and just circle each time you see the word sent or sending, you'd notice a couple different, and if you were to read it in the Greek, you'd notice two different words are being used. One that emphasizes the Father sending the Son, and that shows up 26 times, or 24 times rather, sorry, 24 times. Then there's this adverb, or this verb of the Son being the emphasis of the one being sent, and that shows up 17 times. So you have this commanding theme that John's getting at with the idea of being sent. And it concludes where Jesus is kind of handing the baton. He's saying, hey, I've been sent. I've been sent by the Father. Now I'm sending you. There's no following Jesus without being sent. There's, there, there, there's, there's no commitment to Christ without the commissioning of Christ. These things, we've separated these things. We've made certain things, quote unquote, optional of the faith when in reality, they're intertwined, they're enmeshed. Even this word of faith in Jesus has become kind of, kind of in, in, as we think of it, almost ethereal, something that you can't really grasp. In, in, in the first few generations of the Christians, the word faith, this idea of faith was allegiance. It's pledging allegiance to Jesus above all else. It was a political statement to say Jesus is Lord because in saying that, you're saying Caesar is not. So this is, this is crazy of these individuals to put their faith and their trust in Jesus because they know in doing that, they're signing up for his mission in this world. It's the same for us. It hasn't ever changed. It's just been poorly communicated and perhaps handed down. And so when we say, send me, we're following in the footsteps of Christ. We follow a God who doesn't expect us to do something he hasn't already done. Jesus has already been the sent one, and now we go in his footsteps. Follow him, he's our exhibit. 1A, a life that put others first, a life that sought the welfare of the poor, a life that disrupted systems of oppression, a life that healed the sick, a life that gave hope to the hopeless, a life that honored those on the margins, a life that was lived and ultimately laid down for the sake of others. That is who we follow as we go into this work in the world, a work that the Lord is up to. And the good news is we aren't jumping out of planes by ourselves. The Spirit, he breathes the Spirit, he fills the Spirit with us. And so we really are well equipped for this journey. And I briefly want to mention a couple of things before we begin to conclude and respond together. And the first is this, because I think this is poignant, especially for our time of just where we're at right now and where we particularly live, both in time and in space. But just as, as, a, a, just as a biologist, as someone who's an ex expert in living things, uh, or an ornithologist, anyone know an ornithologist, anybody? 
Birds, good job. Birds, an expert in birds. Or an arborist. Trees. Or someone who comes to church here. You're all arborists, okay? Uh, We need to be missiologists. We need to be experts. And we need to actually understand what is the mission of God? How does it work? And there's two particular movements that you see throughout history that I think are quite helpful to recognize. Because again, it shows up as far as the opportunity we have right here, right now. And the two different types are going and send, or going and coming, rather. Going and coming. People that have gone with the good news, people who have followed Jesus robustly, that have gotten on ships or boats or planes or trains, and they have gone. They have gone to take that good news to a community, to a place, to a people group. And there's actually, there's missionaries you guys support. Jake and I were talking about this at lunch just, just, just uh, last week. You guys support the Kowalskis. Uh, I know Dr. Wally Kowalski was just here uh, a couple weeks ago. Love that man. I uh, had his class at Northwest. And they're, they're serving in Indonesia. They have gone to Indonesia. You have the Wongs serving students and teaching English in China. Again, they have gone. They have been sent. You have the Movars building youth ministry in Croatia. Again, they have gone. They're going, going, going. But then you have coming movements. You have times throughout history where people have actually come, people who have not known the good news, who have not had the ability to get to, to get to witness, to get to hear the good news of who Jesus is, this king of a new kingdom, and they actually end up coming to places where the good news does exist. That's happening. That's happening. Washington has 163 different languages represented right now. There's somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 people moving into the Seattle area every week, one of the fastest growing cities in North America. And they're coming from all over. I talked to Anna Safavi just, uh, just out there. She talked about uh, uh, an Iranian family who just moved into their, their block, and, and she's married to Sean, uh, who speaks Farsi, and so they were kind of uh, jib-jabbing a little bit. But, but that's happening. I'll walk down the, the, the Juanita, the boardwalk down there, and I will tell you there are times where I walk with just one circle around, and I've probably heard five or six different languages. At Overlake, we did a study earlier this year. We have 30 different languages spoken within the Overlake family right now. Guys, there's all kinds of movement coming into this area. So when we talk about being sent, I want to kind of reposture our thinking a little bit. It may mean that you're called to go into another country, into another place, but I know it also means for sure being present where you're at, living as a missionary where you're at, invitationally living where you're at. So what is he inviting you into? Is it just a conversation with your hairdresser to go a little deeper than you usually go? Is it to take care of that financial need that a coworker has shared with you? Is it to befriend someone who just moved in? Is it to respond to someone who just fell on their face at the Bellevue Library? Who knows? But guys, we need to live in this posture of being ready and responsive. My wife and I, we try to practice this. We're not great, but we try. Uh, a couple quick examples is, is just this a couple weeks ago, met one of the baristas at a local coffee shop and he's moved up here from Colorado with his girlfriend, found out he liked running. So we went on a run together. Just, just, just finding whatever those bridges are to begin that process of seeing where he's at in his journey, get to know his story. My wife, she, she was talking to a neighbor who's lonely, a senior lady who's lonely. She lives all by herself. And once that neighbor shared this, this sense of loneliness she has, 
uh, my wife, and we have a little almost two-year-old, they're starting to do two play dates together in just the neighborhood, in her place, in, in, in her uh, little apartment, in the HOA there. And so it's, it's, these opportunities are out there. These opportunities are out there. But what's the vision he's giving you? Who's coming to mind? And I wouldn't be surprised if the people who are coming to mind are those that are on the margins, the lonely, the stranger. We see that as a common thing throughout scripture as Jesus shows us what this person of peace means. What are the ways that you can invitationally live? Because this last point, and this is really where I want to send us with and kind of leave us with, is really just this principle that you are sent by Jesus with his spirit for his mission. That if we were to understand that and even more so live that, we begin to see his kingdom, his way, his rulership of love begin to invade all kinds of, of, of places and spaces and people's lives and marriages and homes and some of these trends that we're seeing that are pretty scary and alarming begin to kind of course correct into what would again be the establishment of Jesus's kingdom. There's a few more thoughts here that, that I'm, I'm, I'm gonna choose to kind of table, but there's something happening, guys. There's an opportunity happening and, and, I, and I don't wanna oversell it. I just wanna let you know about it, but the opportunity is out there. The table has been set. You're being invited in to get into the game, to get committed, to be sent, to just listen to what is it the Spirit speaking, and then just bond to those promptings. It's gonna feel weird. You're gonna feel like you're hanging outside of a jet, a little airplane. It's gonna feel, you're gonna lose your tummy at times. That's a good place to be. You're in the right place when you're experiencing those things. We need to get more uncomfortable. In just a moment, we're going we're gonna to continue to respond in worship, and, and it really is one of those fun Sundays here where you get to respond in any number of ways. So we do invite you to, to, to worship, but we also invite you to take advantage of this opportunity. Maybe there's someone actually that's come to mind, even as you've been sitting there and thinking that, that you need to be lifting up in prayer. Well, I'd encourage you to come up here at the front and light a candle as sim symbolizing that you're lifting them up to the Lord. There's also communion on the sides. If you see these candles flickering, you can go there and partake of the Lord's Supper, of the bread and the juice. The bread symbolizing the body of Christ which is broken for you. His blood which has been shed for the forgiveness of your sins. So you can take a piece and dip it and, and, and partake of communion. You can also head to the back and I would strongly encourage this opportunity in light of the fact we're on the heels of this great three-week series that you can actually be prayed for by someone Maybe this is a prayer you want to pray, and this is a moment of a little bit of kind of that accountability aspect of actually sharing it with someone. And so the prayer team will be in the back near that cross, so you can just go back there and receive prayer. And then lastly, also, there is uh, next to the communion stations as well, just, just offering to take care of those, those places there as well. But instead of all standing up together, I want to do it a little uniquely, because I, I really want each person in here to feel really this call and this invitation and so I want to invite you by groups, by types. And so as you identify maybe where you fit and reflecting of these things that I'm about to say, just please stand. Please stand. And then collectively then we'll all be standing and we'll respond again in worship. So if you work, if you spend a lot of time in the business or the finance sectors, please stand up. Please stand up. You guys are sent. I want each and every one of you to hear it and feel it and know it. You're sent, 
you're sent. If you're in tech, you're sent. Stand on up. If you are in tech, stand on up. If you're retired, your work ain't over. Your work ain't over. Stand on up. You are sent. If you're in medicine or healthcare, please stand up. You are sent. If you're in the public sector, government, justice, law enforcement, armed services of some kind, please stand up. You are sent. If you're in education, whether as a teacher or a student, please stand up. If you're in social work or work for a nonprofit, please stand up. If you're in engineering or something else that builds things and is really confusing and complex, please stand up. If you're a full-time parent, guardian, or caretaker, you are sent. Please stand up. If you're an artist of some kind or creative in nature, please stand up. You are sent. If you're in construction or transportation or aviation, please stand up. If you're in retail, stand up. If you're in transition in between jobs right now, stand up. If you're in the restaurant, hospitality, or service sector, please stand up. If you're in the sports entertainment uh, uh, or in ministry, stand up. What do I need to say? What have I missed? Business, stand up. Stand up. Who's sitting down out there? If you have breath in your lungs, please stand up. Let's pray.